0: See if that's close enough. It's out of the shot. Okay. Hey y'all, welcome back to KW1S. I am Vera Payam, and this is episode 10. Why are you always so damn happy all the time? You're just smiling and shit? What gives? What gives? <laughs> Surprisingly, I get asked this question a lot, both on and off cam, actually. And I. I never really know how to answer this question because I just I don't I don't have a, it's not something I have a straightforward answer to, um, but I'll say the first thing that comes to my mind um, are memories from my childhood. So uh, my mom wasn't around when I was growing up, and I don't have any brothers or sisters. I'm an only child. I, I did have a female cousin that was my age that I grew up with, um, and I had a lot of friends, but. Uh, I just spent a lot of my time alone. Uh, I'd walk to the beach, and I'd go play in the tide pools. You know, I'd go, I'd touch the sea anemones, and I'd pick up seashells and pretty rocks that had been worn smooth from the waves, and I'd I'd climb on the big rocks there on the breakwater. I'd lick the salt off my lips and listen to the waves crash against the shore. Uh, My dad, he liked to fish, and he had a boat named after me. And so on the weekends, we'd go out on the water and he'd set up his fishing poles and catch fish and grill them. Um, While well, I drew pictures of the sky and just looked at the cliffside. Um, yeah, I also remember when I was a kid, um, I don't know if you guys remember those TV commercials. I don't know if they still have those. I don't have a TV. I actually haven't watched TV in, like, years. But um, they, when I was a kid, they had the, the commercials of, like, the starving children, you know? And I remember whenever I would see those, I would just, like, I would just break down in tears. I would just cry. I would just cry. And my dad would get worried for me <laughs> like he would you know he'd feel like yeah are you okay like he's like you're okay you know like you're not hungry you know you're not you're not in danger you're not one of those kids you know like, like why are you crying you know why are you upset and like are you okay um and you know and I would tell him like well you know it's, they're suffering you know it's because they're suffering and you know, and maybe some of them are alone, maybe, you know, maybe they don't have a good dad like you, you know, maybe they don't have a good parent that loves them. And, you know, I I want them to know that they're not alone. You know, I want them to know that they're not crying alone that if there's another kid out there right now that's suffering and that's crying, I I want them to know that they're not alone and that I love them, even if they don't think, even if they don't know it, I want them to know that, even if they don't know it, I love them. <sighs> Like, just for as, as long as I can remember, I've I've always had a real strong sense of connection to the world, um, just connection to this, the world and my surroundings and everything in it, you know, and all the other living things in it. And so I've always kind of considered myself, because of this, I've always kind of, considered myself like a spiritual person Um, it definitely goes beyond empathy you know it's not just empathy like you know um, feeling for other people it's a sense of real wholeness real connectedness to also my environment and the planet and the universe understanding that we're all made of the same things we're all made of the same molecules and the same bits and essentially we all abide by the same the same laws and the rules of physics and all of that um however this this sense of spirituality was always very separate from my sense of religion um i mean there was religion when i was growing up my grandma was catholic and my dad's christian um but and and so while like religion was there i don't think it played a major role in like my personal spiritual development actually uh, actually i I got my cousin and I kicked out of kicked out of catechism when we were young, yeah, um everybody was so embarrassed yeah <laughs> um I remember how old were we we must we were young we were young, we must have been like seven like six or seven um and so we're there in catechism it's like kind of like Bible study for kids, you know and you're um, and so me and my cousin are sitting there and I'm like drawing and I'm coloring like a picture of like, what was it, like Noah and the belly of the fish or something, right? And so I'm like coloring it, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going along. Everything seems hunky dory. And my cousin, she comes over, she's like, she whispers in my ear, she's like, come on, you don't actually believe this stuff, do you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And I go, yeah, you know, and she's like, well, you don't actually believe that a man can live in a fish. And I said, well, I go, she's like, you know, science, our science class tells us that's not true. Our science class tells us that's not possible. That can't happen. And I was like, well, you know, it's not about the literal interpretation of the story. You know, these are just stories that they tell people so that you know how to live your life. You know, like um, they have good values, good morals, good direction. Right. Um, And she was like, no, she says, but these people actually believe these things happened. They believe a man can live in the belly of a fish they believe that happened i was like no they don't i was like no they don't she says yeah they do i says no they don't i said teacher teacher and the teacher comes over i says okay i says you know me and my cousin are having this argument you know and i says a man can't actually live in the belly of a fish right i was like you know these are just stories to help us improve our lives right that's that's what this is um and she says, oh, no, no, that happened. That's, that's a miracle. And she said, that's why we call it a miracle. And I said, hold up. I said, so anytime something happens that you can't explain with science, you call it a miracle. That's it. And you just write it off. She was like, well, yeah, you know, because that's God coming to us. And I was like, and I just went off. I was like, but you're lying, but you're lying. I was like, but these things can't happen. You don't have an answer for that. That's not correct. Like, and I just went off. And the teacher shoots darts at my grandma with her eyes. And my grandma comes over and my grandma's like, shh, shh, quiet, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get and she grabs us by the arms and she drags us out of that class. And I was like, what? What? I don't understand. I have questions. I have so many questions. And my grandma's just like, stop it! Shut up! Stop it! Oh, <laughs> And my cousin is mad at me. My cousin's like, what are you doing? She's like, you weren't supposed to tell her. Like, (laughs) oh, God. (laughs) Oh, we were asked to never come back to that church again. (laughs) So, uh, I guess, uh, I've always kind of been an atheist. <laughs> um, but I didn't really know that yet, right? And also, I didn't see this as being in <laughs> Um, I didn't really like see this as being in any kind of conflict with my spirituality. Like for me, this was neither here nor there, you know. It's just, oh, like whatever these this is not my this is not my tribe, right? Um <laughs> and um And so for me, as you know, as you know, I went through school and I went to college and I learned more about like psychology and science and the laws of physics, um, these things also for me um, were, were not incompatible with my sense of spirituality. Actually, they helped me to better understand what it was that was objectively part of the world and how the world worked and what was my own personal inner experience, right? um and so for me the more i learned about science and the world the more i learned about myself also um and so i so again for me these things were never in competition like my sense of spirituality has never been in competition with science or religion um and but funny enough though i you know when i would tell people in college that i was you know i would say i'm oh, i'm spiritual you know they would ask but like oh, yeah i consider myself a spiritual person you know um I remember like, you know professors and like you know my classmates sometimes kind of like look at me funny, you know, like, oh, you know they'd be like oh i't I i would not have pegged you for you know someone spiritual and you know the spiritual type right, and uh i I didn't know what that meant like i i didn't know I know what they meant by that like you know, did did they think that I was like lying about my commitment to science or, you know, did they think that I was like secretly part of like some occult witchcraft or some Kool-Aid drinking band of hippies? Like, um, I just, I, I'd always sensed this kind of resistance toward the spiritual, but I, I really didn't know why. Um, and then I met, and then I met one of my closest friends. <laughs> I met one of my closest friends, and I remember uh, when we met, I told him, you know, yeah, oh, I'm spiritual, and he also gave me this look, he was like, mm. he was like, no, you're not, he's like, you're atheist, and then he gave me a copy of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, <laughs> uh, a few pages in, uh, I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely atheist, yeah, totally, <laughs> um, but again, I, I, still didn't see where this distaste, this distaste for the spiritual came from, right, um, and then I met his mom and her like fascination almost like ritualistic obsession with the mystical and the occult and you know, he told me about how she would put up like pictures of spiritual gurus and she would like go to temples and chant and give them money and buy their self-help tapes. Um, and she would like pray to these pictures of, of these gurus who were still living by the way, because of course a, a living prophet supersedes a dead one. Uh, and and my, yeah and my friend would watch while his you know his poor you know homely little mother, you know meek, insecure, you know, little old lady bun and little old lady stockings and, and she would just just pray and pray you know to these to these these altars, like pray to them like, begging them to fix her, just make her normal, like, like staring in the mirror and just hating herself. And then the ne- and then next month, like just as frantically as she, she put everything up, she would just tear them all down, just tear them down, rip the paper, throw them into the trash, and like go back to the temple and like start all over again. Um, you know, the chanting, the incense, the rocks, the uh, Hari Hare Krishna, and aimlessly wallowing in all that is unknown and, you know, in hopes of some, like, faint carrot-on-a-stick promise for some spiritual redemption. I just... <sighs> that That was not my understanding of what spirituality was that wasn't what it meant to me um but um but personally i do believe that all people have spiritual needs they you know they may not be as immediate as our needs for food and shelter but when they aren't being met we notice them just the same And, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, against, like, organized religion or, you know, or temples, you know, or anything like that. But I am definitely skeptical and of people and organizations who co opt spiritual concepts in order to prey on vulnerable people who are in real need of hope and belonging and connection. And personally, I, I think to give someone false hope is... It is an absolutely cruel thing to do to a person. <sighs> to put yourself in a, in a position of authority and to mislead, intentionally mislead someone, honestly intentionally or unintentionally, I think even if you don't mean it, I think that when you put yourself in a position of authority like that, I think you have responsibility even if you don't mean it. You are responsible for the people who follow you and you're responsible for the words that come out of your mouth. <sighs> and on that same on that same note, I also think that denying someone the possibility of hope is equally as toxic. Nietzsche himself, I mean the father of nihilism, wrote, "He who has a why can bear with almost any how. And for those of you who don't know what happens when you can't find a why, revisit episode seven and ask Nietzsche Shotgun. People need hope. They need something to believe in. so what does this have to do with being happy all the time right this doesn't sound very happy um but um because for me i a big part of like kind of like you know my my happiness and comfort and security um comes from having accepted that human nature isn't always rational it's not (laughs) I mean, a lot of things about human life and and the things that we do as people, the decisions that we make, the actions we take, are just downright absurd and irrational. Like, it's not rational to, to wage a national war over a woman, or an insult, or a number, right, on a screen. It's not rational to put oneself in harm's way to help a complete stranger, with no thought of reward Uh, but people make these kinds of choices against their personal best interest every day every day I remember um, the first the first and only economics class I ever took (laughs) was in my first semester of junior college I was fresh out of high school (laughs) um Fresh out of dropping out of high school. <laughs> and uh, the, first thing <laughs> the first thing they teach you is this concept called economic man. And the core principle is that all human beings operate, more or less, on a cost-benefit analysis. All we want is to get the best deal at the lowest cost. All human, all human behavior can basically be boiled down to just maximizing our gains, minimizing our losses at the least amount of effort possible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when my teacher first presented us with this theory, uh, I, you know, I laughed. I thought, oh god, this guy's gotta be joking, right? Like, okay, well, this is one theory that we're gonna learn in this class, right? Like, I was like, hello? Like, the person who wrote this theory, have they never met an artist? (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, and then two weeks into the class, when we started building on this concept, I realized he wasn't kidding. Like, Someone actually believed that this was all that there was to being a human being. And that the entire, everything we were going to learn in this class was based on that concept. Like, the entire branch of economics, economics as we know it, everything was based on that, this savagely incomplete view of human nature. And I just, I'm sitting in this class listening and I just, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I just can't I got I raise my hand. I'd be like, teacher, (laughs) teacher. (laughs) And I'm like, so are we gonna talk about any other theories besides economic man? I mean, obviously human beings are a lot more complex than that, right? Like we make decisions against our own personal best interest all the time, whether for love, the group, based on strongly held personal beliefs, like are are we just not gonna talk about those things? Like And like, shit you not, the whole room fell silent. Like, everybody turned around in their chairs to look at me. Like, the teacher's staring at me. Everybody's looking at me like I'm a fucking idiot. They're just like... (laughs) And the teacher says to me, Sweetheart, do you know which class you're in? He's like, this is economics. This is about making money. Behavior that doesn't make money is irrelevant. And I was like, okay, but no, 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 but but hold up though. Hold up though. Okay. I was like, economics is the foundation of our society. And it's what we base all of our policies on because it's supposed to be able to predict human behavior. But how can we build a civilized society on schools of thought that completely ignore and devalue everything that makes us human? What about the role of power? What about ethics? how can we not factor these things in that's absolutely absurd like I and he just like he just looked at me he scoffed you want to study human nature go take a humanities class and I think this time he might have been joking I, I I don't think he was serious but when I stood up and walked out of that classroom He knew I was serious. We will never be able to have any kind of meaningful understanding about what it means to be human without confronting the irrational. Uh. On a lighter note, yeah, I remember um, <laughs> my ex-boyfriend, um, <laughs> one of the, the, the same, uh, one of the people who also looked at me funny when I told him I was spiritual, um, he would look at me funny every time I went to the beach, <laughs> and I would bring home, like, like little rocks or, like, little shells, you know, um, and I'd, I'd carry them home in my pocket, and then um, and I'd put them on the windowsill, you know, like, like by our bed. Um, and I would just like, just stack them all there until there's like no room. They'd be like on top of each other. They'd be like taking up the whole little like windowsill, you know? And, (laughs) and he finally asked me, he's like, yeah, I get it. Like, why do you bring this stuff home? Like, you know, he's like, it sits there. It just, you don't ever do anything with it. You don't do anything with it. It clutters up, you know, it collects dust it sets off your allergies you know you have really bad allergies you know that's what's causing your allergy that's why you sneeze all the time when you're in the house you know he's like and then I gotta throw it away when you're gone and you never seem to notice it because I've thrown these away like a million times and you never say anything you know he's like you just put more shit there he's like I just he's like I don't I don't get it like what's 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 the deal what's going on (laughs) and I I just shrugged I was like "Mm mm-hmm I was like, I just, you know, I like it. You know, it's a little rock, you know, a little shell. I just, like, you know, I touch it. Maybe I, like, I look at it, you know, the way the sun hits it. Like, I don't know, it's, it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> and then we just kind of, like, looked at each other, and then we would both laugh, you know? And then we would both laugh because obviously it's silly, you know? Like, we're sitting there, you know, we're, we're bickering about rocks, you know, on the windowsill. Like... Um. <laughs> Um, it was just one of those things that we just, you know, we, we just didn't get about each other. Right. Like he didn't, he didn't operate like me. Um, he was definitely like the more practical one, you know, he was a lot more like intentional, like he didn't just like do things, you know, um, you know, everything he brought home, it had a purpose and had a function. Right. And he didn't like own things that he didn't use. He was definitely practical one, definitely the practical one. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, sometimes he would have to put his foot down, you know, like, I wasn't allowed to bring home anything smelly, <laughs> that was, that was definitely the line. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, for the most part, like, as long as it wasn't in the way, you know, he didn't mind. Um, and, you know, eventually I'd notice, you know, if he threw it out, I might be like, oh, you know, and I just, you know, I would just stare at the place where it used to be, you know, and a little dust gathered. <laughs> Uh, and then I remember it was funny um so then so then we ended up breaking up but we stayed really good friends and so like years later you know we're talking on the phone right and uh I'll never forget this is really good and so he calls me and he and he sounded particularly chipper that day right he sounded like he's in a really good mood that day and he goes you know what I did today and I go what'd you do and he goes well he says, so usually, you know, after work, I have meetings. Um, and then I got to get on the freeway before the traffic gets too bad. And he says, but today, all my meetings were canceled. And he's like, so, he's like, I'm heading my normal route toward the freeway because, you know, that's the most efficient route, according to my Google Maps. Uh, and he goes, but I thought, hmm, well, you know, there's actually no traffic right now. I don't have to take the freeway. And the scenic route would probably take me just as long. And he's like, I was going to check my Google Maps, but then I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care even if it does take a little longer. I'm going to take a different route just because I feel like it. <laughs> he goes, and I did. <laughs> and, and what I loved about this was he sounded so proud of himself. Right, like he was just so pumped, like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Good for you, man, taking back control of your life, doing it because you feel like it. <laughs> I was like, How'd you like it? And he kind of paused for a little bit, and I can <laughs> around the phone, but I can like, I can almost see like like his little smile, his like, little dimple. He's kind of goes, It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think even the most logical like firmly cemented rational hardline thinking person has some emotions and spiritual needs even just a little bit. I think we all have them. And, it, you know, I, I don't think that nurturing our spiritual needs has to be, like, you know, some big fanfare or, like, you know, existential orgasmic epiphany, you know? Um, I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes nurturing our spirit is, like, the stupid shit. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's jumping into the ocean naked at 3 a.m. with my girlfriends, you know? Like, you know, it's it's watching the sunset, like... You know, dancing until you can't breathe or stand anymore, right? Like finishing a good book, watching a worm, you crawl on a leaf. You know, it's 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 simple. Like like oh. <laughs> I was thinking about this. This one time, I was a uh, I was sitting on the porch and I had this I had this old roommate. Like literally, he was old. He was like the seventy. And I remember we were like watching we were watching this squirrel and we watched this squirrel try to, we watch the squirrel totally miss jumping on a roof, and we watch this squirrel, like, fall, like, <laughs> into a giant bush, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> little things, um, <laughs> like, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel like a rock in the ocean, you know, like, I think our, our spiritual needs may seem small, but when we continue to neglect these needs, when we deny ourselves the ability to, to connect with other people, with the things around us, with our environment, when we deny ourselves, you know um, when we deny ourselves the right to, to love things or to be loved, when we deny ourselves the ability to nurture something, to love something, to appreciate something, um, I believe when we deny ourselves these things we suffer. We suffer. You know, and, and just like all those, those wealthy douchebags I talked about that I used to bang, you know, like, that, that emptiness may not necessarily show up when you look in the mirror, but other people definitely see it. And even if they don't see it, they fucking feel it, right? They feel it. And, you know, to deny the spiritual, the creative, the artistic, the, the aesthetic, or even the ascetic, all of those layers of human experience to deny those things is to fucking turn right around and climb right back down the evolutionary ladder it isn't might that has given us our place in the animal kingdom it's wit and so when people ask me you know how i can be happy all the time you know, it's kind of an odd question for me because I'm not happy all the time, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just, I'm happy with myself. Because I don't need to be anything more than human, but I also cannot. Cannot be anything less. As always, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting KW1S. Make sure you follow, make sure you subscribe. And I don't know you, but I love you.